Welcome to this very special edition of The Real Hill Podcast. I'm your host, The Real Gerald Quinn. As we record this on a Sunday, hope everybody out there is enjoying, enjoyed their weekend. Uh, before, um, I told you a few weeks back when we did our back-to-school special, uh, The Wire episode, Final Grades, that um, possibly another one was coming. Um, and a couple weeks later, the week after this episode came out and decided to do a uh, look at the series finale. And that's what we're going to do this evening. Um, the Wire 30. This is, of course, the series finale of the series. It was recorded March 8th. Not recorded, excuse me. It was uh, this episode aired March 8th, 2008. Um, 93 minutes long, or 93, 94 minutes, give or take a minute. It was the episode's longest. The series' longest episode, and frankly, one of the best series finales in the history of television. Like, it really, it really is. Uh, I watched it this morning, and I'm gonna tell you right now, it, it did not feel like I. It did not feel like the episode was 93 minutes. It moved so fast, and you, you know, it takes takes you back to took me back to when it was that last episode, and you're just like, all right, it got to be some more left. It got to be some more left that you. You just don't want the series or want the episode or the series to end. Um, it was a phenomenal episode, uh, to say the least. Vulture had it, and we know Vulture does a, did an excellent job at ranking the, all the Wire episodes, all 68 of the Wire episodes. And again, you didn't, you're not going to agree with every single ranking. It's 60, you know, 60 episodes of television. But for the most part, I thought Vulture did an excellent job with this ranking. They had this, this, this episode ranked number three. Only middle ground, which universally is regarded as the greatest wire episode ever, and final grades from season four are ranked ahead of it. We're going to talk more about the season five legacy because I think season five gets a bad rap. Um, and but it, it had, when you look through some of these rankings on Vulture, season five is is prominent in the top half of some of these rankings. To be honest with you some of these episodes. So we're going to look back at that. We're going to talk about that later on in the program. Um, but before, as always, I'm going to get into themes of this episode. And frankly, the theme that stood out to me the most was comeuppance. We saw the comeuppance of a couple of a number of a few of our characters. These three were the most prominent of those, um, of those, uh, of these characters. When you look at what happened with Nolte, uh, Freeman and also uh, Cheese Blackstaff. We'll talk about that over um, the course of the episode. So our theme for this episode is comeuppance. Let's go to the deep dive. Um, Marlo Stanfield. So we see what happens with Marlo, how his uh, story ends. And I want to first of all, performance by the actor Jamie Hector cannot be it is a, a it's just a, it, I mean, it's a performance, it's a performance that has just has aged so well. And in the moment, like in the moment, you just had no idea. You couldn't, couldn't respect the performance in, in the moment. Like when this came out, I'm like, what, 25, 26 at the time. Um, the series ended when I was 30. You know, when Jamie Hector first comes on, when Marlo first comes on in season three, 
remember, we we dealt basically with three years of uh, three seasons of uh, Avon Barksdale. Avon Barksdale is probably is I would say outside of Omar, my second favorite character in the whole uh, in the whole series. Um, in the entire wire run and the entire wire run, I would say yeah, Avon Barksdale is probably my second favorite character. Charismatic. He had, you know, Avon had a personality. Avon was had a sense of humanity. He, you know, cared about family. We most people love Avon, the character Avon Barstow. So you come in with Jamie Hector's character, excuse me, with Marlo Stanfield, played by Jamie Hector. And they, by the way, they, those two have been in a number of movies together. I don't want people to realize that Jamie Hector and and and, uh, and uh, uh, Wood Harris have been in about at least I want to say at least six movies, four, five or six movies together. Like if you go check the IMDb, they've been they played a lot of uh, they they've been in a lot of the same stuff. Over the course of their careers, uh, mostly small and independent, but regardless, um, so I found that very interesting. But you know, Marlo, this guy comes in not much of a personality, doesn't say too many words, but that was it was all that was really how he was supposed to play the character. He was supposed to be a guy who thinks fast, was efficient with his words, efficient with his actions, and was the new breed. The new breed. He was like Avon. 3.0 in in essence as far as like how ruthless he was like that that character this character is like he is as cold as ice like as bad and Avon did some shit and Avon was crazy Avon was would kill you in a heartbeat but Jamie X's character had no he this character had no remorse whatsoever the most remorseful moment he had in the entire series probably if you want to call it that was. The killing, the most humane moment. I ain't gonna say even remorse. That's that's a bad term. The most human human moment he had was kill. Was involved killing somebody. It was killing, uh, having uh, Michael's father killed. That was that was him being, uh, quote unquote, a good guy in his world. And even that came with the fact that hey, I'm gonna kill your father, but when I do this, you belong to us. So that came with a price. Like he was, he's not doing shit like letting Cuddy walk out the game. Like no, that's just, that's not. That's not what Marla was about, and you look at the performance that that just that took it over the top was his performance in in, in the episode when he says my name is my name when he just when it's kind of like three years of of a build up to where he's so reserved so calm so cool he finally he finally snaps because he all he, he, he excuse me all he cared about he cared about number one was his reputation it was about yes wearing the crown. And sure, he loved money, and sure, he loved power, but he cared. The most important thing to Marlo was his street. It was his his reputation, and he delivers a, just a, a just you know virtuoso performance in that in that particular in that particular scene when they're in the jail and he snaps on Chris and he snaps on Monk uh, about not telling him that Omar was basically destroying his reputation and basically calling him out in the in the street. He did. They hid that. Well, and there's a reason why Chris part Chris hid that because he knew. Uh, Marlon would probably try to go after uh, would go after Omar and Omar would kill him. So this character uh, again, one of you were ranking television villains in the last 20 years, he is without question up there. Like there's no there's no two ways. He is, uh, he's top probably top five television villain. Uh, the intelligence, the just uh, ruthlessness and, and just I mean, this again. He plays this role perfectly. He is the anti Avon Barksdale from a sense of personality from from that standpoint. 
Um, you look at him in this particular episode. So, and now uh, I I can probably I, you know I won't I will talk I'll talk about his last scene and keep that off the best scenes, but he in essence the reason why I got this picture next to him with Stringer Bell at the end of this episode he gets everything that Stringer wanted. Okay, he finished he he was able to walk away with ten million dollars. He sells the connect. He he's because of the police and all their dirt and what they did those illegal wiretaps. They and we'll talk about this during the deal during the best scenes with Perlman and Levy. Marlow is able to walk away with with ten million dollars. He's so he's in a meeting. He goes to a meet a business meeting where he's in a suit uh, with uh, with Levy and Levy's introducing him to all these big time real estate brokers and politicians. This is what Stringer Bell wanted. This is what Stringer Bell in his fantasy body, you know, in Stringer Bell who's probably in hell somewhere, saying, you know, why couldn't this be me? Um, and Marlo just it's just not into and again, this is it was perfectly written. This is just not who Marlo is. Marlo is not a businessman from that standpoint. He's not a guy, he's not a suit and tie. Uh he walks out the meeting, says he has he's a bathroom, walks out and goes straight, goes back straight to the street. And you see him go straight to the street and you see him, you know, knock out one of the kids by getting but gets, you know, stabbed, not stabbed, but gets uh sliced on his wrist. And you know, licks his blood and says, "Like, yeah, this is where I belong." And that's where he. And that's that. That's that's where Marlo, the character Marlo Stanfield, belonged on the street corner. And that's why I say that probably if it, if there were a season six, that the Marlo can't. That there's no way, there's no way Marlo, the Marlo Stanfield character, would not have gone back to the street and probably ended up, uh, probably ended up dead. He probably would have ended up went back to the street and, and got back in the game or got arrested because, of course, we know that what they if we know that any whiff of him that was going that was going to be on the street, they were going to pull that file, even if it meant throwing cops in jail and they were going to uh, put him back, put him in jail. But my main thing about about the Marlo character is that Jamie is just how perfectly played this character was by Jamie Hector and how I have like. As like 15, 16 years later, I have way more respect and way more regard for this character than I did in the uh, in the moment. And this kid, this character was a guy that just was about his business and was about just strictly about his reputation of um, of a street figure. That's what he was about. He wanted. He was about just his reputation. All he cared about was his name. And if you notice in that final scene, the kids, you know, the new generation, uh, remember, he's had to give up the crown. Nobody, he's, so he's done right now. He's no longer the kingpin. They don't even know who he is. They're talking about Omar. Omar name, Omar name is the one that rings out. So Omar, even in death, even in death, Omar's name is what is, 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 it rings out and what the, is what the new generation is talking about, not Marlo Stansfield. They, didn't know he, they literally didn't know who he was. He says, do you know who I am? And then the guy says, you know, do you know who I am? So he didn't, they did not. So and that that is what, that was the tragedy of that particular character that he lost everything. He lost what he valued the most and that was his name, his street name and his reputation on the street. But again, phenomenal performance by uh, Jamie Hector. Um, he was in uh well, he's been in a number of things over the past. I mean, he's been around for a long time. 
remember he was had a, 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 a basically a bit role and he got game back if you remember that one of Spike Lee's montages where he actually had braids and I mean you, you can barely, it's only like for like maybe like 10 15 uh, 15 seconds and this is like at 98 so he's been he's been around for a while um he if you he was in We Own the City last year on HBO, which again, he was, he was great. He was great in that. Had a had a pretty big role in that. So, again, perfectly cast actor, one of the great television villains of all time. Uh, that is the deep dive, and again, he got everything that Stringer had and did not want it. Did not and didn't want it, and and vice versa. Stringer didn't care about street reputation. So Stringer, when Stringer was with Avon, he didn't care about. Being a top dog as far as Kingman, he he didn't care about that. So there you go with that. That is our deep dive of this episode. Best scenes, there are a number of them, uh, of course, as you expect in the lat in the series finale. I even probably left a couple off that could have made the cut. Prez and Duquan. So Prez, so this is kind of like a two part scene. Um, so Duquan is 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 completely out as far as. He's in the street. He's a crackhead. He's he is he is developing. He is at this point. He is bubbles at this point. He's he he looks matter of fact. He he looks like a, probably with a younger version of what a what an eighteen year old bubbles would look like. Or not, however, how old he is? Probably at the time. He's probably eighteen, nineteen at the time. I want to say probably eighteen. He, that he's bubbles at this point, and he goes back up to the school, and it's to the point where uh, he tries to knock on the door, knocks on knocks on the door while during the school day. And Marsha Donnelly, this is a person who barely doesn't even recognize him. Um, she tells him basically you have to wait outside. I'll get Mr. Prez. Uh, Prez, uh, you know, this is like a year later following the season four. Of course, Prez has a beard. Prez is fully in control of his classroom and he's got the ha- handle of the job. He asks him, he asks Duquan, excuse me, Duquan, uh, Duke, asks him for some money. Says he's going to enroll in the GED program and get a place. So he's going to he, he's going to enroll in a GED program and also get a place. So like one hundred and fifty dollars. And this the sad part about this scene is they both know that this is bullshit. Friends know that this is bullshit. Duquan knows that. Of course, he's spewing bullshit out of his mind, out of his mouth. And but Prez, again, Prez had had a deep connection with the kids, especially Duquan. He you know if you remember season four, he would feed Duquan, he would clothe Duquan. And Prez ends up giving him the money, ends up giving him two hundred dollars. And and again, Prez says, Hey, you know, the entire time Prez was going to give them the was there was no question that he was going to give him give him the money. But what he said to him is, Look, I'm gonna go down there to the uh, Baltimore Community College place, a G place where you get a GED. And if your name is uh if your name is the registered down there, then I'm gonna know I have a friend. I'm gonna know that I can trust Duquan and so on and so on. He's trying to basically, in essence, to me, guilt him into telling the truth. If you, he says, if you if you're not registered down there, then I'm gonna know. Then chances are, I'm probably not gonna see you ever again. Again, Perez was a former cop. He knows that. Listen, he used to deal with bubbles. He knows that look. He knows what it looks like for. He knows what a crackhead looks like. But he has such a soft spot for this for this young man. Who was you know he watched in middle school and now he's seeing him and watched him go through so much shit with his family and the foster homes and just everything that he that he dealt with over the course of the his during his duration his duration on the uh uh over the course of the time that he known him that 
he uh, was going to give him the money regardless. So he gives him the money, $200. And of course, he's never going to see Duquan ever again. Like Duquan is taking that $200. That $200 is going right, is going right into his arm along with his, his friends, his new uh, friend that he hangs with. Of course, the guys in the that that deal with the horses we know happened prior in season four with those guys that he he found his tribe and you know those guys are you know, are crackheads in essence. Uh, he's found work and he's also found himself. He's also became the uh, the new bubbles from that standpoint. So very sad scene. Um, we remember the connection that these two had in season four. Um, and, you know, Fred, again, there was a point where during season four where Duquan actually looked clean and, and he actually, like I said, he was being t- basically taken care of by Prez, but now he's out to school, he's in the street and Prez, you know, you know, looks as if like, once he get, he gives that final look as he watches Duquan walk away and Prez knows that he is, uh, never going to see him again. McNulty, Ross, Daniels. Uh, this was a this was this scene was hilarious because just understanding at this point everybody knows what everybody knows the truth has come out uh about the serial about you know McNulty and Freeman with the serial killers they know everybody knows of course Kim we know Kima told on both of them she told Daniels and now is where you know basically they're trying to find this killer this copycat killer and um, they're trying to find this copycat killer and also the mayor's office is trying to do his best job to kind of like protect themselves from the onslaught that's coming from going to come from the governor and also be coming from the media. They're, they're in pure fight, you know, crisis management mode. Everybody's in crisis management mode in terms of protecting their positions. Daniel's trying to protect Perlman and so on and so on. So McNulty's, they have McNulty in the box at the police station now, again, it, this made this only made perfect sense that it would be these two that would confront McNulty. Remember, understand the history of this show. McNulty started out at the Western with Rawls. He 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 in essence left Rawls to go with Daniels, uh, and they create a unit, the Major Crimes Unit, which Daniel presided over for a couple of years. So they, so McNulty has a, a lot of history with both of these guys. At points, various points of the series, he pissed them off. He pissed off both of these guys to no end, and they absolutely, you know, lay in McNulty uh, about this serial killer. Rawls had a funny line: "says You're not killing him yourself, are you? Are you, Jimmy?" And that was a, a hilarious line from Rawls. And then they basically tell him, "Like, look, you need to put down this last case in terms of your copy, in terms of this copycat killer. That's going to be your final case as a as as regular police." After that, you're basically done. Uh, even if you even if you're not fired, uh, which we are, we, as we all know, they end up they end up not getting fired. They just were never going to do. They never going to do any real police work. And we saw we saw what what, what happened uh, with Walt with with not Raw, excuse me, with Freeman, and also with McNulty. So this scene, yeah, you had two of his former bosses coming at McNulty. Um, Again, everybody was on point as far as the performance. Uh, like Eric said, we'll talk more about Dominic West's performance. He was phenomenal in this episode. Even during this scene, you can see uh, the amount of guilt that he had. You know, he says, you know, if, if, his, if, if what is worth now, I finally know. And they basically like, oh, it's too late for that shit, motherfucker. You, 
the damage has already been done. So forget about any remorse or, or any feeling bad. Just make sure you catch this uh, copycat killer so that we all can kind of go home and, you know, go about our business. And um, again, this is a scene, this is a scene that was five years in the making in essence, because of the history that McNulty had with these two particular bosses who, you know, have things on the line, who have their own personal interests as far as with this case being solved. And they, they, they're trying to figure out, you know, Raw, both Raws and Dams are trying to figure out their own next moves, so to speak. And we find out what, what those next moves are over the course, during the course of this episode. Great scene, great performances, uh, especially from um, Dominic West, uh, who plays McNulty. Luby and Perlman, uh, again, a lot of history between these two characters have gone. You've seen them on opposite sides of the fence. Levy, of course, is with the drug dealers. And Perlman, of course, has been the ally of the cops and the, the uh, major crimes unit and what have you. Uh, basically, you know, you see them negotiate what type of jail jail time that Marlowe and his crew is going to get. Both of them know, like, Levy knows that, the, that, that there was an illegal wiretap. But what Perlman has up her sleeve, the ace in the hole, was the fact that one of Levy had bribed a, you know, one of the, um, one had an inside man that they were bribing that they flipped, and he did not recognize that, uh, did not recognize that, and flipped on everybody, flipped on everybody, and that gives that gives Perlman a kind of a, even though she basically had to concede that that. That gives Perlman some negotiate, some wiggle room to negotiate and we're to have Chris Partlow take all the mur murders, to have Marlowe walk but not get but not have basically have to retire from the drug game. And she had a great line at the end of the scene. You know, both of you get to uh the client gets to walk or neither one of you get to walk at all. Or the both of you don't walk at all. So uh Levy wanted initially Levy wanted Marlowe not wanted wanted everybody wanted Marlo to walk and also did not want a life sentence for Chris Barlow, but uh that was not the case. Uh Pearlman was able to go again was able had that ace in the hole with Levy having one of his guys being being uh flipped. Uh Gary D. Pascal, of course we found of course we saw that scene earlier with her and him and, uh Freeman Freeman basically tell, Freeman telling him you're done. Uh, we that, again. That was the he was the leak for for Levy. He was the leak. He used to get the information from Pop Joe, uh, in terms of uh, knowing in terms of the drug dealers having a connection. So, uh, great scene. Uh, seeing those two again. These two have been going at it for the better for the duration of the series. Even going back to the uh, even going back to season one, these two have been going at it, and this was a fun scene to watch. As they kind of, kind of like this chess match between these two, who again are on opposite sides of the, uh, even though they're both officers of the court, they're on from a moral standpoint, they were on, on, on clearly on opposite sides uh, of of the law, so to speak. And Levy, you know, Levy's face at the end of this was hilarious too, because he know that he had, he knew that she had somewhat got the upper hand, uh, uh, and didn't want because he didn't want to. Uh, he did not want to concede every he had to give up more than what he was willing to do what he wanted to. He thought that he had an advantage that he ended up having. And Perlman basically says, Hey, if we gotta lock a couple cops, if you know, Marlowe comes out of retirement, we gotta lock a couple cops up, then so be it. We will take this cops this we will take this case off the docket and we will lock some cops up if Marlowe does not retire. So 
great scene uh by two you know by these two actors um and of course it was their well it wasn't their final scene levy would have another scene with uh would have another scene with barlow as he gave him gave him the news but i believe that was pearlman's final scene of the episode the mcnulty wake so a tradition started back in season three you if you remember uh, when one of the cops died, they would take his body to the to the uh, to this bar called Cavanaugh's, lay him out on the uh, on a pool table, and uh, it started with the late Robert Colesbury, who was of course a producer on the show and died sudden died you know unexpectedly, uh, I think after between seasons two and three, so they did that. They we saw that in season three, and then they did it again in season four with a, with a, another character that was that we didn't know. So McNulty, of course, is forced to, in essence, uh, retire from the police department. He put, you know, puts it in his papers, and they do this whole eulogy. Of course, Jay Landsman, uh, his sergeant, uh, does this eulogy for him. You know, thirteen years, not enough of a pension, and you know, goes through you know all McNulty's, you know, all basically all the good, basically went through the good, bad, and ugly of McNulty's career. And ends it, of course, with you know saying that basically he, when he was good, he was the best that we had. So you see him play the song, and you see them, you know, you see everybody show up, people from all from various parts of various seasons of the episode. Uh, you know, Agent Fitzhugh with the who you know used to work with them back, you know, season one and two, and you know the first couple seasons. Uh, you see a number of the characters that we've seen throughout the course of the, the duration of the show. Kind of give McNulty his uh give McNulty his flowers. It was it was a good it was a nice tribute to the character and um perfect way to send McNulty out um and perfect way to kind of send that character out um not being you know a guy like McNulty just never was going to something was going to happen like this like this guy was never going to be a thirty a twenty five to thirty year cop like it so it made when you look back on it, at it. It made perfect sense that a McNulty, a guy like McNulty, would go out like that, would do something like that, kind of like this road cop, this cop that you know didn't really want to follow was great at his job, but didn't really didn't want to follow his rules per se, follow the rules of, of, of policing to a point where he's listening to bosses, things like that. So when you really think about how McNulty went out, it kind of was, it kind of this kind of made sense. In terms of how his character would, would go out, that this guy, somebody like this, could not be a lifelong cop because he never was going to play by the book. He never was going to end up being a boss. Uh, he never was somebody who McNulty kind of was a police disruptor. If you want to say that, kind of did things his way in a sense. And, and this, and so this was a perfect way for um, him to go out. I don't know why I have Levy and Perlman twice, but. You can certainly disregard that. Disregard that. Um, that, of course, is a typo. Uh, cheese and Slim Charles. So when you think of the word, we talked about our theme, themes of comeuppance. And, of course, at that wake, uh, Kima, tells, Kima tells both McNulty and Freeman, she was the one that, that, that basically, in essence, snitched on them. And, again, that makes perfect sense to who she was. Remember, season one, Kima... You know, she could have fingered Weebay um, for the shoot for her shooting her, and but she said she only saw one of the shooters, and that was of course Little Man, and that like Kima is like the last 
if, you, if there's a pure soul of morality in the show, Kima's it. Kima's not going to, you know, she is going to st- st- stick with, the, you know, she was a rule. Somebody's going to follow the rules. She's going to be a, a, a just a straight arrow cop and just do her job and keep it moving. She was not for any of the politics. She was not for any of the bullshit to make. She was not going to do something just to make a case. Like we saw Lester. We saw McNulty. Monk was kind of like that as well. Like he wasn't going to go caught. He wasn't going to go outside the lines just to make a case. But Kima represented that as well as any of the characters that of the entire show that she was not going to jump outside of her character uh, for the sake of the job. And she told them straight up, like it had to be done. I did it. It had to be, and it had to be done. Um, so, and they, they actually, you actually look at their reaction. They actually respected that because they know that's who she was and uh but you know lester officer a drink McNulty basically says well if you had it if it had to be done you had to do it uh so that so that was also part of the McNulty, the end the end of part of that scene of the McNulty wake she's a slim charles so the connect has been sold by marlo um or there's an offer that's on the table basically all the drug dealers who had to get up had to you know scrape up basically 10 million dollars uh, cheese basically says, "I got. I'm in for nine hundred. I can cover the rest of whatever they, whatever they came up with." Cheese says, "I got the rest of it," and basically they said, "You know." And uh, Fat Face Rick basically says, "Hey, you know where you got that kind of money?" They get into it. Fat Face Rick and when when Fat Rick, Fat Face Rick calls out Marlo, Cheese pulls a gun on him, and Cheese goes into this whole soliloquy about the game and things of that nature, and then Slim Charles. It shoots him without, of course, uh, shoots him in the back, in the side of the head, and basically says, and says that was for uh, Joe. And of course, Slim Charles had long put together, with, and everybody knew this, that Marlo had killed, that Marlo had taken over the, the connect and had killed, uh, had killed, uh, everybody knew that Marlo had killed Prop Joe with everybody else, but what only Slim Charles knew is that Joe had been betrayed by Cheese. Just a perfect way for this character to go out. This guy, let me tell you something. This, when you talk about a, a guy that was a piece of shit, when I, so let's go back to season four, right? Season four, like late in season four, maybe it might have been final grades, where previous episode, uh, Omar stole the entire shipment, right? He stole the entire shipment. Bob Joe, in that meeting with uh, Marlo, Chris, and then the Connect, the Greeks, does not give up. Does not give up uh, cheese. He says he's my my sister's cut, my sister's brother, my sister's son. I can't do it. So he protects because that's what Marlo wanted to talk to. Because Marlo thought that this was a setup from the start. Marlo didn't trust it. He thought that this was an inside job. And he wanted to talk to the person that uh, was in charge. Uh, 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 he wanted to talk to the person that was making the drop. In essence. And that, of course, Cheese was the one that was on point from that standpoint. He doesn't give up Cheese at all. Like he says, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. Cheese, <laughs> earlier this, in the season, earlier in this season, so, you know, gets all pissed off because Pop Joe basically tells him to stay away from Hungry Man's territory um, and you're not a, like you're not in the co-op from that standpoint. You're not because he wasn't that he wasn't that big on the uh, on the ladder. He gets all pissed off and then goes out there and gives up information 
to get Butchie to um to um to Butchie's bar for fifty thousand dollars and sells out and, and ends up selling out uh Pop Joe for Marlo to kill to go kill his own. This is I mean he go this 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 how <laughs> he sells out his own flesh and blood uncle his own uncle for Marlo Stansfield and for for a higher position. In the not only in the co-op, but in, if you remember, Cheese ends up running the West Side as far as being uh, the point person for the drug drops, you know, and what have you. So this guy had this; he had this coming. From this was rewarding to watch. Uh, there was not, like I said, there was not a guy who had it coming more. One of the great comeuppance of in the history of the show of somebody that just had it coming and got what they deserve. And you can go back to season one with Stinkum and. And we they getting shot by Omar after you know after they killed his uh his boyfriend, but there hasn't been or Officer Walker in season four getting paint thrown on thrown on him after all the shit litany of shit that he did over the course of just basically one season. It is all in, in terms of season four. So this is one of the great comeuppances in the history of the show. Like this dude was a piece of shit, and he was he had he had it coming. He absolutely had it coming. And uh, no, again, no one. There were. I'm sure. I'm sure that there were no tears shed for the fact that uh, um, the fact that when he was taken out by uh by one Slim Charles, and Slim Charles was the perfect man, perfect one to to do this um uh, because he was loyal to Prop Joe uh over the course of the, the, the of seasons four and five. MVP of this episode, it was and it was kind of hard um. Because you could have gave the MVP. I mean, I could have gave probably David Simon the MVP this episode or Clark Johnson. Clark Johnson directed this episode. And ironically, Clark Johnson directed the first and last episode. Of course, I mean, if you remember, Clark Johnson played uh, Gus Haynes, who had a major role in season five. Um, the MVP was McNulty. Uh, Dominic West was just a, was phenomenal in this entire, in this entire episode. You could see throughout the course of this episode, how terrified he was when they found out when he found out that he and Lester were caught. Um, these scenes with him and Beatty, uh, you know, he's back in her good graces. They've seen the kind of mended things. He's playing, you know, stepdad to her kids, and he's enjoying himself from that standpoint. When he calls out Templeton, that scene with him and Templeton, when he calls out Templeton for his bullshit, and he called he in essence calls himself out, says, I'm a fucking joke too. But I knew why I did it. Fuck if I know why you did it. Uh, he was just prominent throughout the course of this entire of this entire uh, episode, and I thought that again, I thought he delivered every scene that he was in. He delivered on. Um, so he gets the MVP of of this episode. The series started out with McNulty. The series ended with McNulty, uh, which made perfect sense. Um, so yeah, so he's the MVP of this episode. As far as like the legacy of, so let me talk. I want to spend a couple of minutes on season five um, for a second. And again, this was an episode where, you know, we talk about comeuppance. Um, there was one scene that I did not put. And by the way. Okay, so before we get back, get back to that, there was there was one scene that I wanted to talk about that that I did not put I, I meant to put on here. Uh, Dan, Marla and Cedric Daniels. So Marla, yeah, Marla and Cedric. So at, at this point, um, 
Marla has the information. Marla, at this point, Norris is mayor, and she basically tells Cedric that yeah, you in order for you to stay commissioner, you're gonna have to cook. You're gonna have to cook the books. Like you're gonna have to cook the books. That's in Cedric Daniels at this point of the show has seen enough. He has absolutely seen enough. Remember, Cedric Daniels over the course of this series had been the good kind of like the straight arrow cop, played everything straight for the most part, uh, followed the bosses, um, and it gotten it frankly had gotten him to, you know, to the point where now he's commissioner. And he basically says, I cannot, I cannot swallow any more lies. I can't do the stats game. The stats game destroyed the department. I can't, I'm not going to cook the books for, for Norris. I'm not going to cook the books so that Norris could, so that Norris could become mayor and Clark Kelly could become governor. And Marla basically says they have enough on that they got there. So Marla basically shows in the file. Remember that file that we've been seeing since season one they had on Cedric about the old days when he was taking money in the Eastern District. The one, the file that, of course, um, that, of course, uh, the previous commissioner had, his name eludes me now, uh, that, pre- that that previous commissioner had that threatened to use on him like a couple seasons ago. Uh, maybe, see, no, it was in season one, actually. Um, but said Daniels at this point has had enough. He's done. He's not going to lie anymore. He's not going to cook any more books. He basically says, if I, could, if I do it now, then she's going to have me in her pocket and I'm no good like working. I can't work under that type of condition. So he decides to quit. He of course becomes a, and becomes a lawyer. And we saw it. We see in the final montage. Uh, he has to, uh, that Perlman. Perlman becomes a judge, and she has to recluse herself because of their, of course, their own with their relationship. So Daniels, you know, gets to a point where he gets everything he wants, and it turns out that he can. He's he's only going to go so far with playing the game that. Uh, you know he's willing to give it up, uh, just just from a morality standpoint, just for just for, like just in essence he like he had a code, you know, similar to Omar that he had his own code that he was not willing to break, for just for the sake of, of, of playing the game. Uh, so this this was a great scene with him and his ex wife. Um, he also mentions you know look if I go out if I try to hurt them then that's going that could put Perlman in jeopardy in terms of her career. So he was looking out for her as well. So. You know, this was a guy that, you know, over the course of his career, over the course of the series, basically did everything by the book. He, um, only time he played the game was he played the game when they told him to play the game. So he followed, for the most part, he followed the powers that be, but he got to, when he, when he got in a position to where he was one of the powers that, that when he became one of the powers to, uh, that be, that he was no longer willing to play that game and again, he goes out in essence on his own terms and uh, becomes a lawyer. Becomes a lawyer, as we saw. So great scene. So I wanted I wanted to get that last scene in because I didn't have it up there on the on the list. of a great scene. This was a, a tremendous scene between he and uh, his ex wife Marla Daniels. Um, then into the history of and again over the course of this episode, we saw a lot of, a lot of characters who tried to do the right thing and they paid for it. Alma. Gus got demoted, trying to do the right thing, calling out Scott Templeton, who was lying, of course, about us, about the, the news story, about the fake killer, serial killer. And Templeton gets rewarded with a Pulitzer at the end of the episode. So he gets rewarded for bullshit. They get demoted. Um, they get demoted for telling the truth. You see, Cedric Daniels has to pay the price for time for, for, for being... 
you know, having a, a moral compass, a moral center, he, you know, goes from police commissioner to lawyer. Um, so there were a number of characters, you know, there were some characters who got their comeuppance for being, uh, you know, for being, having, for following morals and, and being, you know, and, and being real and being honest. Uh, and that's what the wire was, or that, you know, that's what this series was. The series did not, it, you know, it, it did not, uh, just because you did the right thing doesn't mean it was going to turn out well for you in this series. And that's, that was, that was one of the things, the things that they showed in the series, how nuanced this entire series was, uh, getting to season five. Um, so, and kind of like looking back on season five, season five got it. I think season five gets a terrible rap. Okay. I think it gets a terrible rap. Season five was not a bad season. Matter of fact, if you look at, uh, Vulture, we talked about that list of the top 60 wire episodes of all time. Three of the top 10 episodes of all time are in season, are ranked. Three of the top 10 episodes of all time ranked are in season five. You have this episode that was ranked number three. You have uh, Late Editions, which was phenomenal. That was ranked, I believe, ranked number five. And number 10 was Clarifications. That was, of course, the Omar, the Omar Little Death episode. So they had three of the top 10 episodes, four of the top 24 episodes in terms of being ranked. It wasn't so much that season five was bad. It was just so much that it just wasn't as good as the previous four seasons. And season five, remember, season five did not get a fair shake because they only had 10 episodes comparisons to the other four seasons getting getting anywhere from 12 to 13. If season five gets a regular complement of episodes, who would we be arguing season five versus season two, season five versus season one? I don't think it was ever going to... Like I, it would, you would be hard pressed to top season three, top season four, and top season three. You'd be very hard. It was almost impossible to top those two seasons. Season four is, I think, the greatest season of television uh, ever, and season three is right. Is you know you talk about the Avon, the Bar, the Fall, the Barksdales. The season three is right there with season four. I can you can debate season three and four if you want to. Some do some like season three even better than season four, but also those two seasons stand alone. But Season five was not a bad season. It was like you look at the strong episodes. It there were about five, five, not just dead. There were just five heavy. There were about five heavyweight episodes in this season. Even the, the episode that Pop Joe gets killed that was a big time episode. The first, the opening episode, uh, more with less. The first, the, the opening season was a great episode. They had about four or five tremendous episodes over the course of this season. It ends, you know, clarifications. Um, late edition clarifications, late editions in this episode. It is those are three classic episodes. Those are three classic episodes. Season five again. Season five was not a bad season. Not not in the close to being a bad season. Um, so I, I think that to me, the thing that I think about over the course of the history of the show is like one of the things that to me had that hasn't that has hasn't aged well is is the fact that people. We were bang on season five as if it was a bad season. It was not. Um, and I'm sure if I watched the entire season, I would I would feel just as strongly about season five not being I would feel this way as well. Um, but this this episode as a whole, this episode was getting was one of the best episodes in the history of the show. I can I can make a case for this episode being the second best. I can make a case for it being the best episode when you think about it, because it's hard enough to close out like 
some of the tough, some of the toughest episodes in television are see are season finales because in the season finale, you're wrapping up the story of a season, and you also have to kind of give have to give breadcrumbs into next season. It is very difficult uh, for a season finale. That's a lot. That's why a lot of times the best episodes in a in a show season will be the penultimate episode for the season finale. That second to last, the second to last episode. A lot of times in these shows. This show, this, you know, for this, to wrap up an entire series is a different, is a different monster. Like I said, I would put this season, I would put this series up, I would put this episode up with any series finale that I've ever seen. I think probably the best one I've seen, I think Boardwalk Empire probably has the best series finale I've ever seen, to be honest with you, the way, the way, the way that wrapped up. But it's right there with any series finale that you will ever see, uh, right there with the, with the Sopranos, right there with Bullock Empire, right there with any series finale. Uh, the Shield had a great one too. There, that if you go go watch the Shield, uh, if you are you're a fan of the Shield, that that season series finale was was spectacular as well. But I will put it up there with any series finale in the last uh, thirty years without question. This and this definitely in the golden age of t- uh, television. Um, again, I don't go back as far as like Mash, or, you know, you know. Of Mash, I did see the series finale of Dallas, and it was terrible. The series finale of Dallas, and I'm not even talking about the TNT Dallas. Like, who cares about that? I'm talking about when Dallas went off CBS. That that was not that that wasn't it wasn't good at all. I remember that as a kid, it just wasn't. I wasn't really feeling that. But in the last thirty years, this series finale was as good as any series finale that we've ever seen. And to me, I mean, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed about this show. That, in terms of my opinion, of this being the greatest show. In the history of uh, of television, like nothing's changed from that standpoint. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I will see you next time. I will see you later on this week uh, as we look at some NFL action. And again, not too far. You know, it's October now, so the NBA is right around the corner. We'll be here in a couple of weeks. Have a great, great rest. Have a great rest of your weekend. Have a great upcoming week. So long.